the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. He is called the bread from heaven. And here in John chapter 6, we get a clear example of that truth. And we get a clear understanding of what our response should be. Join us. It's a simple paradigm. You want somebody's money, you throw a big feed, right? In fact, that's what they do for politicians to get your money, have a big dinner. Well, Jesus just gave one of the biggest dinners ever recorded. And the people follow him here in John chapter 6 because they want to make him king. Oh, feed a good meal and they'll give you anything you want. But Jesus knows our hearts. We're understanding the true bread from heaven and what that really means today. Join us. This is Truth For Today, and here's Pastor Phil Howard to get things going. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he, and notice that, you don't call a loaf of bread a he. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, and bread can't give its life. He's moved from physical bread to divine bread, which is a person, and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, Give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Moving from being a bread maker to being the bread. Moving from physical to eternal. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him, should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. This is the sermon at the synagogue in Capernaum. Christ is preaching here. He's done the miracle yesterday. He did the miracle walking on the sea, but he picks up the bread incident because he's got a following based upon physical bread And they still are clueless as to who he is. So he says, let me tell you something. I am the real bread that came from heaven. I did not come to start a bakery. And I'm not in the bread business. 
I am the bread from heaven. There's three things, two by way of introduction, really, and then we will look at what he means by this bread from heaven. The first thing that grabs me in the narrative, you can be following Jesus for the wrong reasons. Jesus knew how to get a crowd if you just keep taking care of their physical needs. And they were so moved by that that they said, uh, we're going to make you a king. But Christ says to himself, if I made a king before the cross, nobody will get saved because I'm king. I've got to be the slain lamb to save. See, he knows how to be king. And he'll be king in time enough. He's king eternal. He's just never been a king over the house of Israel. But we needed someone besides a king. We needed a lamb. We needed a substitute. We needed a payment. And I think it makes me search my heart. Uh, years uh, in being in church and preaching, sometimes I've seen people in church, that some people pop up at the most, hey, glad to see you. Uh, what are you doing here? Or, I've seen emotion during services and thought, boy, the Spirit of God was really dealing with them. Later, I found out their boyfriend broke up. Just because you got a tear in church doesn't mean God's dealing with you. I don't know why you came. Now, I'm not saying, now you're welcome. We're glad you're here. I'm not trying to run anybody off. But why? Why do people follow Christ? Why do they show up? Why do they come to the church? I've been with people a lot of times say, uh, what, kind, what kind of music do you have? Well, uh, I think it's pretty good. Well, he's got to be good if I'm going to come. Uh, and I think, well, well, where were you when we started this place? A man told me one time, I'd come if you had a good youth group. I said, well, there's only 20 of us, and we don't have any young people. Well, I'll come once you get it. Why do you follow Christ? And he said, you're only following me because you want me to do another miracle. You want me to do, turn fish and bread into a meal to feed all of you. You're going to just hang out with me daily so that you can get a free lunch. And he said, I'm not in that business. And at the end of this sermon, by the way, many turned back and follow him no more. They did not like this sermon. They said, if you're not going to make our physical needs the priority of what you're about, we're out of here. And they walked away. And he asked Peter, are you going to leave me also? And Peter had the right answer. So I think it's a curious thing for myself. I ask myself why some men are in the ministry. They're not saved. They don't preach the Bible. They don't love Christ. They don't love his people. They just got a vocation. I, I just thank the Lord today that I happen to be a preacher, but the bonus is I'm also saved. I'd rather be saved than be a pastor. I'd rather know I'm going to heaven than to be a reverend. When I started this church, I said, don't anyone call me a reverend. I'm not to be revered. I want my God revered. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Just like you. Just like you. And, and if you think I'm a mess now, you should have seen him when he got me. And so, a good question that he could get a following, but he wasn't impressed by a crowd. He, you know, he only wound up with 120 in the upper room after three and a half years of miracles, resurrections, feeding people, healing the blind, the deaf, 
casting out demons. You mean you only can get 120? Billy Graham can do better than you, Jesus. He can pack stadiums. You must not know how to lead people to God. I sometimes say that. I'm not a very good evangelist. I don't see many people get saved when I preach. I finally, the only thing that rescued me is the passage as we go along. It's really God's business to do the saving. I do the preaching. And he can even save you whether I know how to make an invitation or not. And cast the demon out of the mic. Second thing that I think hits us on the way is Christ said something that they totally misunderstood. He said to them, uh, do not labor, verse 27, for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father has set his seal. Now they latch on to what he said, but they only latched on to one word, work. He said, what I want to give you will be a gift. But you've latched onto the idea of it being a work. And they're saying, tell us what you want us to do. If we can work for it, we'll work. We'll show you we can do it. And one of the great mistakes people have, they think there's something they've got to do to be saved. They do have to do something. And listen to what he says. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Putting your trust in Christ is the only work you'll ever be able to do that will save you. The work is trust another. Trust his work. How are you going to get to heaven? Based on what your works are, are based upon Christ's work. A man was holding a tent revival in the Midwest. And uh, on the last day, they were breaking down the tent. And a man that had been attending the meetings... Uh, every night, uh, came up to him as the tent was being broken down and uh, uh, was panicky. He said, wait, wait, uh, sir, you can't leave town. Uh, You've got to tell me what to do to be saved. And the evangelist had been preaching for weeks in that place. He said, there's nothing you can do. And the man became panicky. He said, tell me what I must do. He says, there's nothing you can do. He said, you've got to explain. He said, everything that had to be done for you to be saved was done. You only have to believe it. You've got to trust in it. You can't do anything to get to heaven. And that is so against the nature of man. We want to earn everything. Uh, Listen to these uh, examples. When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, she said, what must I do to get this water? And Jesus said, it's too bad you don't realize I'm offering you a gift. And you want to take hold of a rope and see if you can get enough water out of this well. He said, I'm offering you a gift drink. I'm not offering you some more religious works. Listen to what he says. He comes to the young rich ruler, and the man says to him, Good master, what must I do to get eternal life? And he says, You've got to really believe me more than you believe in riches. But the emphasis was on, I want to do something. He said, The Philippian jailer, What must I do to be saved? 
The doing is believing, trusting another. And the great question in our lives is, who can you trust for eternity? Who can you trust your life to that when you take your final breath and you leave this life and we have the funeral and we go back and have the potluck, where will you be? Where will you be? Whom have you trusted? It certainly must not be the works you've done. I, uh, I, I just, I think for my own funeral, I just wanted to say a sinner saved by grace. Uh, uh, you don't have to talk about how long I preached, how long I pastored. Is all of that, uh, nothing in my hand do I cling to but this Christ. Christ is what saves, not what you do for him. Christ alone saved. We're saved by grace, unmerited favor, through faith, and this is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. And you know what? Most people will give up heaven. If they can't earn it, they won't ever receive it as a gift. Why is it that the majority of people during Christ's ministry and on the face of the earth now do not ever put faith in Christ? It is a mystery. It baffles us. Well, he goes on now and is going to uh, tell them that he's the true bread from heaven. And, but before it gets there, uh, he says in verse 30 through 33, uh, I'm greater than the bread that was offered in the wilderness. For when you eat that bread, you die. Most of those people may have missed heaven. Hebrews said they missed the rest of God. They ate bread. They were sustained physically. But the majority of those two million Jews at March died in unbelief. They, they died not believing God. We don't even know if they'll be in heaven. But they had their physical needs met for 40 years. And so they're throwing up to Jesus. Hey, do some more miracles. Rabbinic tradition said when Messiah comes, he will do, give us bread from heaven just like Moses did. And so they're putting that messianic expectation. Where's the bread? Moses fed us for 40 years. Uh, two million of us. You only did it one day. 5,000 of us. Come on. Step up if you're Messiah. He said, wait a minute. Number one, Moses didn't provide the bread. Number two, those who ate it died and perished. That bread rotted within 24 hours. I'm talking about a different kind of bread. I'm talking about wonder loaf out of the third heaven. I'm it. I'm talking about wonder bread. I won't rot and I won't meet your needs for a day or a week, but for all eternity. And so then they said, wow, if we can get some of this wonder loaf, where is it? He said, it's standing in front of you. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. In the Greek it says, whoever is coming to me shall never hunger. Matter of fact, it's a double negative in Greek. Ume. Shall absolutely never hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, does this mean physical food? Absolutely not. 
You, you can't be a Christian and not realize Christians eat all the time. <laughs> we call it food and fellowship. I was at David's group yesterday. The seniors are the best fed group in this church. Go, go, go over to the senior occasions. They pig out. I mean, that's the, that's the ministry. Get away from the youth department. They're lean. Over here is where the food is. Play. Church folks like potlucks. They like to eat. He wasn't talking about that. But are you aware that every one of us live with a Grand Canyon abyss in our hearts? That we hunger for meaning, purpose, mission, fulfillment. It's amazing how many things we try to fill the vacuum and they just don't work. You know, when you're young, you think, man, if I had a hot car, maybe a Corvette, maybe a Mustang, if I can get that, no, what I really need is a slick chick. If I had that chick on my arms, I would be fulfilled. And about two days in the wedding, after the marriage, you say, did I marry the right person? I, I, I wonder if there's a better one out there that could do more for me. And you're saying, I've had Christians say, I wonder if it's the will of God. Well, it is now. <laughs> it is now, honey. Don't be praying. I wonder if he, he's got another blessing. The blessing's right there. Because I'm not sure. Well, wait. You said if you just had her, you'd be fulfilled. There's nothing in this life that will ever fulfill the deepest recesses of your heart and because C.S. Lewis said it this way, if you feel you've got desires and uh, longings for things that th th this world has never been able to fulfill, he said, it might be a clue to you that you were made for another world. See, God made us, he wouldn't put hunger in you if there wasn't something such as food. He wouldn't put thirst built into us if there wasn't something called water, drink. Whatever the longing, relationship, I, I want a companion, I, I want children. Uh, you want these very, so that the desire gives you a hint that there's something to fill it. But guess what being a human being is? It's living with unmet desires until you come to a Savior who says, I will eliminate your hunger for deep meaning, and I'll eliminate the thirst in the depth of your soul. See, it was the rich man in hell that was still thirsty. And when Jesus was on the cross, he represented the cosmic thirst of a fallen race. When he said, I'm thirsty, I'm shut off from God. I'm on this cross and I'm dying. And I want to speak the word of hell and the word of humanity. I'm thirsty for something right now that I can't have. And that's fellowship with God. And Jesus is saying, people, I just fed you 24 hours ago and you're hungry again. Let me introduce you to a bread that quenches thirst and hunger for the rest of your life and into eternity. I am the bread that gives you eternal life, and I guarantee you, you'll never hunger or thirst again. Now, I understand that to be saying, 
I'm going to put a river in you, and I'm going to be what you feed upon from now on, so that it's not we don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. He said that too. But I've been introduced to a storehouse of plenty in Christ that all eternity cannot diminish the source. I've been given a river of life in my being that my thirst is like a little pebble and there is Niagara Falls full of raw water. I'm more than you'll ever need. And there will not be one crevice of your heart or being or the abyss of your loneliness that when Christ comes in, he fills the soul hunger and the soul thirst. And this is disturbing to me when someone says, I know Jesus and I'm still discontented, I'm still dissatisfied, and I'm still miserable. And I'm asking, when did you drink of the water? When did you taste of this bread that quenches your inner man hunger? You may still want to be married. You may still want some things, but he's the drink that satisfies. There is a satisfaction in him. I had a man that just sang uh, at our wedding, Robert Watson. And one of the favorite songs I used to have Robert sing for me was there are no disappointments in Jesus. He's everything he said he would be. There are no disappointments in Jesus. He's everything he said he would be. Now, come to me, crowd. I hear your stomachs growling. I hear your kids crying because you want another quick lunch. But I'm about more than physical food. I'm about that which can quench the deepest hunger in your heart. He goes on. I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. You've seen me in operation. You've seen my miracles. You were the crowd that I fed. And yet you're coming here and saying, we want another miracle. Do something like Moses did. He said, you've seen me in operation, and you still don't believe. You've got me on test and trial. The problem is with you. How much would it take to get you to believe in me? Nobody will be in hell that hasn't had enough evidence presented to them. But we are stubborn sinners, and we want to keep snapping to God. You've got to show me some more. Do some more. Come on. Go. Perform for me. I want a miracle. I want a sign. I want some more bread. Matter of fact, if you don't do it, I'm not going to believe in you. He said, you've already seen what I've done, and you don't believe. I'm not dancing for you. I'm not a God that's made to satisfy your wondering desire. I'm a God that owes you no miracles. And you don't believe me after I've done them. Do you ever bargain? God, if you do this, I'll serve you. God, if you do this, I'll... You know what? What would you do if you heard him say, all right, see you later? It's a foolish thing to bargain with the offer of eternal life. You better take it when he is knocking at the door of your heart. Now listen to what he says. You guys have seen what I've done and won't come. Here's the mystery. Who, who finally gets it? Why did you get it? Anybody in your family that doesn't know the Lord? Why you? You were the smartest. You were the nicest. Let's leave that alone. Look at verse 37. All that the Father gives me 
I can't hear you. Will come to me. Who comes? All that the Father gives to the Son. This is what we call sovereign election. God has a people that he's going to reward his son with. I love the saying of the Moravians in 1732 when they went out from Germany as missionaries. Their motto was, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Questions, comments about the program, as always, we would love to hear from you. You can reach out to us by visiting our website, truthfortodayradio.org, or by giving us a call, 855-833-9864. If you've got a question for Pastor Phil, you can use your smartphone. The Voice Memo app on that smartphone is a great way to reach out to us with your questions, praise reports, and comments. Simply record your question, who you are, where you're calling from, and then email it to us, tftquestions at valleybible.org. Again, that's tftquestions at valleybible.org. And again, as always, you'll find more information about Truth For Today at our website, truthfortodayradio.org, or by calling 855-833-9864. Now, Truth For Today is a listener-supported ministry. We have friends and family members who have come alongside to financially support the ministry to ensure that it continues on this radio station. Would you be a part of that family, that friendship? We'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us again. You can securely donate at truthfortodayradio.org or by calling 855-833-9864. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Blessed be the name of the Lord.